Section 2 of Brother Francis by Eileen Douglas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Chapter 2 A Change. In this easy, painless life, free from struggle, care, and strife, ever on my doubting breast lies the shadow of unrest. This no path that Jesus trod. Can the smooth way lead to God? As health returned, Francis determined that he would no longer waste his life. He had spent a quarter of a century in ease and pleasure and amusement. Now, some way or other, there should be a change. Religion to Francis meant acting up to all the duties of his church. This he had already done and not for a moment did he dream that there was in what he called religion any balm for a sore and wounded spirit. It never occurred to him to seek in prayer the mind of the Lord concerning his future. Oh, no, it was many a long day before Francis knew the real meaning of the word prayer. He was convinced of his wrong and determined to write it. That was as far as he had got. What to do was now the great question. Just about this time a nobleman of Assisi, Walter of Brienne, was about to start for Apulia to take part in a war which was going on there. All at once it occurred to Francis that he would go too. He was naturally courageous, and visions filled his mind of the deeds he would do and the honors that would be bestowed upon him. He hastened at once to the nobleman and begged to be allowed to accompany him. Permission was granted, and Francis set about getting his outfit ready. His rich costume was far more splendid than that of Walter himself and the trappings of his horse and his general accoutrements were all in keeping, so that altogether Francis was a very magnificent personage indeed. A few nights before he started, he dreamed a strange dream. He was sleeping, and he thought somebody called him out of his sleep. Francis, Francis, said a voice, then it seemed to Francis that he awoke and found himself in a vast armory. All around him hung shields and spears and swords, and weapons of all kinds. But the most curious part of it was that each weapon was marked with a cross. In his heart he wondered what it could all mean, and as he was wondering the voice answered his thoughts. These are for thee and for thy followers, it said, and then Francis awoke. It was an age when dreams were counted of much importance, and Francis rejoiced over this of his. Heaven, he said to himself, had smiled upon his enterprise. God had undertaken to lead him by the hand, and to what heights could he not aspire? Dreams of earthly honor and distinction floated through his brain as he dressed, and when he went downstairs everybody asked what made him look so radiant. "'I have the certainty of becoming a great prince,' he answered. 
Yes, truly, he was to be a prince among men. Could he have seen then the rough road that God was preparing for him, would he have drawn back? Happily for us, we live a day at a time, and further than that our eyes are holden. With a great deal of pomp and display, at the appointed time Francis mounted his horse and set off. But his journey was a short one. About thirty miles from Assisi he was taken ill with an attack of his lifelong enemy, the fever, and forced to lie by. He chafed a good deal at this, and wondered and pondered over the mysterious actions of a providence which had so manifestly sanctioned his expedition. One evening he was lying half unconscious, when he thought he heard the same voice that spoke to him before he started. "'Francis,' it asked, "'what could benefit thee most, the master or the servant, the rich man or the poor?' The master and the rich man, answered Francis in wonderment. Why then, went on the voice, dost thou leave God, who is the master and rich, for man, who is the servant and poor? Then, Lord, what wilt thou that I do? queried Francis. Return to thy native town, and it shall be shown thee there what thou shalt do, said the voice. It was characteristic of all Francis after life that he never stopped to query what looked like contradiction of orders. But as soon as ever he was well enough, he traveled back home again. His ambition for future greatness and earthly distinction and honor all seemed to be lost sight of when the divine voice spoke. For Francis was convinced that God had spoken to him. It was certainly not easy for a nature like his to return home, whence a few short days before he had departed with such pomp and glory. His father was not overjoyed to welcome him back, but his friends, who worshipped him, the flower of Assisi, as they called him, received him gladly. Things had been dull without Francis. His merry songs and jests were missed at the evening feast. For a time he took up the life he had quitted. There was nothing else to do as far as he could see. But he was changed. Even his companions were forced to own that. He sang and laughed and jested as usual, but the heart had gone out of his song and laughter and he was prone to fall into deep fits of meditation. It was a far from satisfactory life. He cared no longer for what was once his very existence, and he knew not as yet to what God would have him turn. He desired to serve God and gave himself to almsgiving. He made a pilgrimage to Rome, only to be disgusted with the miserable offerings put into the treasury by the pilgrims. "'Is this all they spare to God?' he cried, and pulling out his purse flung its contents among the rest. He was tormented and haunted by recollections of his past misspent life, and for days he mourned over what was beyond recall. There was a certain old woman in Assisi, 
horribly deformed and hideously ugly. Francis, with his innate love of the beautiful, recoiled in horror every time he met her. She was a nightmare to him, and he would go far to avoid seeing her. The devil, who is ever ready to work on the weakness of a human soul, used this old woman to torture him. "'See,' he said, "'a picture of what you will become if you persist in mortifying yourself and leading a life devoted to God. You will become as ugly and repulsive as that old woman in time.' The bare idea was agonizing to Francis. The old woman turned up continually and seemed to pursue him like a phantom. The temptation may seem to stronger souls an ignoble one, but it was an intense and severe one to Francis. He conquered by yielding himself up to the will of God. He accepted everything—deformity, ugliness, pain—if it were God's plan for him. Then, and only then, had he rest. As soon as he had given up his warlike ambitions and returned to Assisi, he had been in the habit of going off by himself into a cave or grotto, and there being alone with his thoughts. Many a conflict did that cave see, as Francis, with tears and cries, entreated the Lord to show him how best to employ his life. It was during one of these seasons that his spiritual eyes were opened. Hitherto he had followed blindly an almost unknown God, but he had followed and sought, and the end of his faith was sight. It came upon him all at once. Christ, his love for the sinner, his love for him. Christ, bleeding, dying, suffering for very love. Christ, the pure, long-suffering, merciful, patient. Christ, the Son of God, made man for us. A wave of great joy swept over Francis, and he wept for very gladness of heart. Here was his master, his Lord. He had found him, and henceforth following was easy. Not one of the many translations of the life of Francis omits to mention his self-imposed mission to the lepers. Assisi, like most foreign towns of the age, was infested with lepers. They were not allowed to live in the towns, but had houses, lazaretti, built for them quite outside. Francis had a deep-rooted repugnance to a leper, and, in passing a lazaretto, always carefully covered up his nose lest any bad odor might reach him, and he always rode far away in the opposite direction, if he chanced to see one in the plains. Nothing shows the change in Francis more than his alterations toward the lepers. One day, when out riding, he saw a leper approaching. His first instinct was his natural one, to get away at once. His second, that God required something more of him. Who was he to loathe and avoid a fellow creature? Riding up to the leper, he dismounted, gave him some money, 
and then without a shudder kissed the dreadful hand held out to him. He had done the impossible, and from this time he constantly visited the lazaretti, putting himself in personal contact with the lepers, giving them money, and doing all he could to lessen their sufferings. Of this period of his experience he writes long years after. When I was in sin it was very bitter to me to behold lepers, but the Lord himself having led me amongst them, I exercised mercy towards them, and when I left them I felt that what had seemed so bitter to me was changed into sweetness for my soul and body. End of section 2 Recording by Tom Hirsch